You are listening to the Composer Chris Cast. This is episode 7, and today I am excited to be talking with philosopher, author, professor, and just one of the nicest guys out there, Dr. Travis Dickinson. Travis and I taught together for a number of years, and he is now at Dallas Baptist University, and we will be talking about his new book, Logic and the Way of Jesus. I'm thrilled that Travis was willing to uh, jump on the show and talk to me about this book, and I hope you enjoy our discussion. I am thrilled to be joined by my friend and one-time colleague, Dr. Travis Dickinson. Travis, great to see you. Thanks so much for being here. Absolutely, Chris. It's It's a joy to be with you. Uh, I uh, was privileged to attend some apologetics conferences that uh, Travis helped put together and organize when we were uh, previously at the same institution and read a couple of your books. I just finished your third, the, the third book of yours that I've read, Logic and the Way of Jesus. And that's what I wanted to talk to you about because, oh, there's a lot in here and it's getting talked about in fabulous reviews and uh, I just want to pick your brain a little bit on yeah. uh, on the book. And um, first of all, why did you write this book? I was not bored, um, <laughs> but I, I, I didn't have time on my hands. But no, uh, really, this book comes out of uh, much to do with my own journey. So um, that for me, it was I, I think I didn't it was never the case that I thought that faith and sort of the intellect and logic and reason were somehow, you know, should be isolated or, you know, they, they sort of worked against each other or, or were hostile, but I never sort of like put them together as like crucial um, until it got challenged with it in my own sort of uh, journey to see that faith and reason go well, perfectly together. And that reason is a great tool for faith uh, I don't think, I think we can have faith without reason. It's just not a good idea. Um, I think that the more we sort of learn, the more we know about the world, the more we know about God um, helps us to, it sort of bolsters our faith. And so taking that, and, and there's a few books out there, one in particular that was really influential to me was J.P. Moreland's book, Love Your God With All Your Mind pretty sure I always butcher that title, but that's the gist of it. But anyway, uh, uh, I, I've got like different Bible translations in my mind, I think, but, um, <laughs> for that verse. But uh, but this is sort of the next step in a way of saying like, let's look actually at logic and how that figures into the life of a Christian. Um, and I'm also just fascinated, of course, right? Uh, we, we all are as Christians fascinated with Jesus but it's what I've found is just such a deep well uh, to investigate as we dive in to look at um, the facets of Jesus's ministry, the facets of Jesus's life in a way. And he had a very rich intellectual life and his ministry was shot through with, you know, making arguments and presenting uh, a logical case all throughout. I mean, and, and one thing that, you know, I've, I've, um, was really blown away by by it was how many times the the crowds his audience was astonished were astonished by Jesus 
And it wasn't just his miracles. Of course, it was that to some degree, but they were astonished by his teaching, which part of that is because he's a, you know, sort of uneducated rabbi, so they thought. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they thought that shouldn't be happening. Um, but it was also just the the sort of power uh, and the the, re- the rationality and the reasonableness uh, of the case that he made. Um, they were constantly astonished by that. And I, and me too. And so I wrote a book about it. <laughs> yeah. You know, you don't really hear much about Jesus approaching uh, his critics and those who challenged him with these intellectual, rational arguments like that. At least I never did yes. growing up in Sunday school and VBS no. and all that. Right. Mm-hmm. That's what I mean. I think for me, it was just, I didn't think that they were necessarily enemies. I just kind of never made the connection but when you read like uh, a, a great sort of go-to passage is to go to Matthew 22 and it's, I don't have it right here in front of me, but it'd be the sort of the latter half of the chapter where he's, it's sort of like uh, rapid fire uh, <laughs> challenges by the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the re- religious leaders. They keep trying. And I, I always like, think it's funny because it's like he could have just smoked those guys. Like he could have <laughs> just vaporized them, uh, but he doesn't. He actually refutes them with logic in, in many ways and that's right and and they they leave most in most cases they just leave in silence they just sort of know know they've been bested and they they leave them be we often we pit reason and faith against each other uh yeah. at least maybe on like a surface cultural level like oh you have you're a person of faith well i'm a person of science you know and right this idea that well those two you have to you're one or the other you can't be both and uh i love that your book kind of says now hold on a minute hold on a minute yeah Yeah. so who is this book for who did you write it for um so it's definitely a book that can be used as a textbook i mean that's definitely something i mean it came out of a class you know a a class that i was teaching back when we were colleagues uh but uh (laughs) so so it would be it definitely has a sort of college student in mind. I've been really kind of blown away because it's also a, a number of like classical high schools, like Christian high schools have have actually adopted hmm. the book. now. Wow. So it's definitely uh, it's written very accessible. Or I've, I tried to write it very accessibly so that there's really no prerequisites. And I think that a, um, you know, again, probably like a, a upper level high school student or early college student it'd be right right in the um you know perfect place there uh but i have had so many people that have just read the book you know sort of intrigued by the the title or just that the approach and i I actually had a a 93 year old uh somebody told me that her 93 year old mom is my biggest fan apparently now and and so like it's so, I mean, this is a logic textbook <laughs> and it's like, it's been a really, uh, you know, um, a lot of people that you would just never think this, it could have the, the that kind of impact. And yet uh, I'm getting word that it has. So it's pretty awesome. Yeah. I think I saw that uh, comment or discussion on Facebook uh, uh, that someone's yeah. mom was reading it and like, kept saying that oh this is the best thing i've read in the book so far or something along those lines <laughs> yes. and then that it kept yeah, happening yeah. again and again yeah that's, yeah. that's awesome yeah. Yeah. yeah uh so logic in the way of jesus thinking critically and christianly 
what it does it mean to think critically? And the the reason I ask this is because I think there's a a misunderstanding of what that means. Yeah. Because of the word critically or critical, there's right. a uh, people think that that means something that it doesn't. So could you talk about that? What does that mean? Yeah. What was meant by thinking critically? Yeah, we often use the word critical. You know, when you tell somebody to stop being so critical. Mm-hmm. And that's not, of course, the sense here where that's got sort of a negative connotation. Critical here just means that we are really just being reflective and, and thinking about our ideas and evaluating whether or not they're good ideas. And so that, of course, can be done in a very highly academic, formal kind of way. Or that can be done just sort of as we sit around thinking or, you know, reflecting our on our own ideas. And and one of the big things that I do think is is right is that um, this is best done in community too. So just as you're having a discussion with somebody, it could be that you both agree on things. Uh, uh, you know, so it could be like two Christians thinking about some ideas, or it could be you know whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, you know, two Chicago Bear fans even. Wow. And as you, as you reflect, <laughs> <laughs> as you are reflective, uh, there's no zinger coming here, by the way. Uh, as you're reflective on these ideas, you're just you're thinking critically about them. So, like I said, it can be done. I think kids like I think there's a really important piece to this that as parents, we want to be teaching our kids to think critically about the ideas that they have from their faith to you know, what they value to what movies they watch and music they listen to and so on. We want them to be critical thinkers. But of course, we want them to do that about their faith, about the, you know, values, their moral values and so on as well. And then again, that can go up to take getting a PhD in, you know, formal logic. So it's for everybody. Uh, you brought up parenting that kind of piggybacks exactly into the next thing I wanted to pick your brain about here uh this is a specific uh spot in your book on the chapter of critical thinking and worldview and you write being overly isolated from other worldviews is a recipe for disaster especially when a student has never evaluated her own christian worldview we eventually meet people who believe differently from us whether it is on a college or university campus in our community or in the workplace All of a sudden, when we bump into a worldview different from our own, it can be challenging and even traumatic. Uh, And then skip a couple lines. Kids from a Christian background often feel lied to. Yeah. So in writing that, how did you uh, get to that point of uh, thinking that, seeing that, realizing it? I think it's great that you put it in the book and it's something to think about. But can you kind of talk about that idea of, the importance of exposing uh, kids, especially to different worldviews? Yeah, I think, you know, again, this is partly my own journey. So I grew up in a very Christian setting. And all I mean by that, I mean, it was my my parents, of course, were Christians. Our whole family was. We were at a Christian ministry. I was at Christian school. And <laughs> there was a time in which it was just sort of like, I think I found myself surprised when I would meet somebody that didn't go to church, you know, and I, cause I just thought everybody went to church. That's the kind of idea. And I think when we don't have an exposure of ideas, especially, and we think, and then, 
you know, often we, we kind of tell students, tell our, tell our kids, like Christianity is just obviously true. Mm-hmm. There's no good objections. You know, it's, and I think it's true, of course, but of course. I do, I happen to think there are some good objections in, you know, not to mm-hmm. completely self-promote, but <laughs> I've got another book on the way. Yes, yes. <laughs> and I ha- and they gave me this huge banner that I'm not exactly sure how to use it. So this is my first time. Well, it looks it great the back but, there. Um, yeah, people okay. can't see it on yeah. the podcast, but yes, it's a lovely. Oh, banner. all right. Okay. Okay. Yes. <laughs> um, right. So uh, anyway, that we're we're sort of we often shelter our kids. And and that's okay. Like we we need to shelter our kids to some degree, but I also think we need to expose our kids to ideas, mm. especially. Like I'm I'm very big on ex- sheltering our kids, especially with you know explicit movies. And you know we're obviously not. It's not a free for all in our home. It's it's pretty <laughs> sheltered. But I want my kids to be aware of something like evolution. I want my kids to be aware of atheism. I want my kids to be aware of the problem of evil. Um, Cause these are, these are challenges. I mean, it, you know, cert- certain versions may not be as bad as others and, and so on, but put in a certain way, they can be very challenging. And if you've never even heard about this and all you've heard your whole life is Christianity is just obviously true. Christianity is just obviously true. And then you get onto a college campus let's say where like the smartest person you've ever met is saying, no, that's just a fiction. That's just a fairy tale <laughs> that causes people to doubt. And so then that's what the next book is about is mm. uh, entitled wandering toward God. And it's it looking at doubts and faith and thing, but, and things, but um, what I, I want something like the problem of evil or the, you know, alleged contradictions in scripture or, these kinds of things to feel very familiar to my kids by the time they get there and somebody's throwing it at them. Now, I I think you can't get to everything, but that's why I think it's, it's when we don't expose our kids to ideas, then I think we can, uh, and other worldviews and those sorts of things. um, It can, I think what they feel is like, it's not so much that, oh, this is such a challenging objection and therefore Christianity is false. It's almost Mm -hmm. like, you know, if it's that, okay, I can sort of like, we can have the conversation. Like if my kids sort of find themselves there where they're doubting because they don't know how to solve this objection, okay, let's talk. But if they feel like they've been lied to, Mm. if they feel like people have said their whole lives that there's no problems whatsoever and all of a sudden they have a problem on their hands, you know, then it's like, they're not going to come to you. They're not going to talk to you about it because you're the one that lied in their minds, lied to them, you know, previous, they can't trust you anymore. Right. So it's like, I want to keep, I think with kids, they have to be aware of these things. They're going to have to work their way through them. You know, this is going to sound a little provocative, but like, I want my kids to doubt their faith a little bit at least, Mm. But I want them to do it in my home, you know, while we're there and walking with them and and yeah. help them see that. Because once they get the feel for having a big and difficult question that they don't know how to answer and kind of feeling that sort of like, uh, you know, tension, intellectual tension, and then they find answers as they look into scripture and they look into, you know, say apologetics or these sorts of things that 
feeling of like, oh my word, we can figure this out. We, we, I got myself an answer. I found mm. truth. Like then they have another problem, you know, the next week, let's say, but now they're going to come into that with more confidence. Whereas if they feel lied to and they feel like this is just it, like, I just don't think that they've built up that confidence to be able to handle those things well. Yeah, that's good. My wife and I have had similar um, thoughts with our kids. Like we want them to yeah. feel like they can ask questions like, hey, someone said this or believes this or uh, and then we can talk about it and say, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we want to we don't want to. um put someone else or something down and say oh no 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 just you know, stay away stay away from that but you know respect people and respect ideas and uh, yeah exactly like like what you said you want them to your kids to doubt their faith a little bit i totally get that i i totally understand <laughs> that that might be scary to some uh christian parents yeah. but uh yeah it's so important i don't think you can get to a to that next level without that you know next yeah. level of your faith without that yeah and there's definitely a way to do it flippantly and sort of recklessly with your kids. But I don't think, you know, most parents are going to go off the deep end with it. I'm just saying that we challenge them to think critically about yeah. their faith and and realize that there are that's the that's the tragedy. I think that's the shame is that there are really good answers to these questions. And so many kids, when they feel lied to they're not looking for answers anymore. They mm. just think mom and dad lied to them. So it's like, it's not, it's really not even an intellectual problem anymore. It's more of a kind of emotional problem and no amount of apologetics is going to solve that emotional problem if they feel lied to. Right. Yeah. Good stuff. Um, one last question I got here for you about the book, your okay. chapter on evidence. Uh, you wrote about, what uh, uh, the idea of evidentialism is, which is a, a new yes. thing for me. I think the concept of it, I am understanding, but uh, can you talk about the difference between um, what evidence is and what evidentialism is? And maybe in the context of philosophy or Christian apologetics, what are some examples of evidence for yeah. uh, what we would believe in contrast to what evidentialism is? Okay. So, yeah. So the, it might be easiest to get at evidence first. So evidence is just, on my view at least, any reason that points to the truth of your belief. You know, so if I am wondering where I parked today, because I do have a tendency to <laughs> forget, uh, but, you know, wonder where, where, which parking lot was that again, right? The evidence is going to be, of course, memories, and, you know, also I know kind of roughly where I typically park and that sort of thing, but that's largely going to be memory, but that's going to be evidence for me. Like that's a reason, let's say, I think it's, you know, in front of the library um, parking lot, you know, that's that memory will constitute evidence for me because it points to the truth of my belief there. Um, but we can have all kinds of evidence. So I think when you uh, walk out to look at the parking lot and I see my vehicle there right now, I have visual evidence confirming my belief that it was parked in front of the library and so on. And, you know, we can get we can go up to it and check the license plate. I mean, we can get more <laughs> and more evidence that's continue. I mean, nobody does this, of course, but uh, continuing to support that belief. 
Okay. So that, and that's just a very typical way in which we move about the world as we just get those sorts of evidence. And of course you could have arguments that would constitute evidence on this view. You could, you know, it'd probably be a very different sort of view, uh, belief that we're trying to confirm, but you can go to the laboratory and get evidence, science, you know, so there's scientific evidence, there's historical evidence, all these things constitute. I'm very, very broad-minded about what gets to count as evidence. Yeah. Anything that points to the truth of your belief. Okay. Now the evidentialist mm -hmm. is somebody who thinks that evidence is necessary for being rational in our belief. The evidence is necessary. Now you might say, well, what else could it be? Well, <laughs> leave it to philosophers to come up with plenty of other <laughs> options. Um, Right. So somebody might say there might be a philosopher and I'll just sort of leave out the technicalities, but um, that might say the reliability of your, um, you know, processing uh, information. That's not evidential because it's not really you might not know you're reliable. So you don't have anything sort of pointing to the truth of your belief there. It's just that your cognitive faculties are working well. That could help support. I, I disagree. The evidentialist says, no, it has to be something that points to it. It's something that I'm sort of aware of that's pointing to the truth of my belief. That's what it would be to a, be an evidentialist. Is there a, a good example of evidence for the Christian faith, but uh, someone could come along and say no, because they, they're thinking of an evidentialist perspective? I don't even know if I'm saying that right, but do, do you, do you kind of get what a... What I'm wondering. Yeah, in some ways. Um, so most, I would say most of the time, well, in the world of apologetics, mm -hmm. most of the critics of Christianity, atheists and, and others, are probably evidentialists. Mm. And, and they're saying not enough evidence. You know, Bertrand Russell famously, you know, if he you know, found himself before God, what would he say? he would say not enough evidence. Uh, um, and so that they tend to be evidentialists oftentimes in the apologetics world. Interesting. Um, and so the debates would be centered around something like whether or not something like, I don't know, fine tuning, the fine tuning of the universe mm. um, gives us evidence to believe that God exists. So the fact that the universe seems to be kind of on this razor's edge have to be dialed in with all these sort of uh, conditions being perfectly tuned, as it's sometimes said. Um, right, looks like as uh, one physicist says that some uh, some super intellect has monkeyed with physics, mm. right? Which you know, not the best theology there, but anyway, <laughs> uh, right, pointing to some sort of god or you know uh, being that would have designed the universe to be. Now it's a long shot from the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Jesus. But, uh, mm. right, that's a step along the way for the evidentialist in apologetics. But some Christian apologists will come along and say, we don't need that kind of stuff, right? As long as our sort of brains and, you know, cognitive faculties are working properly or, or are reliable, then we're, we're rational in believing it as the belief in God arises in us or something like that. Mm -hmm. I, I've never found that plausible and I've never found that very satisfying, especially as I've grappled with doubts, mm. right? It doesn't help me a lot to say, well, if your you know, cognitive factors are, are reliable, then 
you are rational. It's like, well, are my cognitive faculties reliable? How am I supposed to check that? Um, right. And then if I do mm-hmm. and I find out they are reliable, well, then I've got evidence. So I'm just sort of back to evidence uh, on my own view. So, yeah, one of the things I like about your writing and our discussions over the years is that sure. uh, there's not a there's not a simplistic answer to everything and that you allow for doubting and questioning. And uh, I don't think there that happens in enough Christian context where that's allowed to happen. So um, right. I've right. always enjoyed our talks uh, with you because of that. The book is called Logic and the Way of Jesus, Thinking Critically and Christianly by Dr. Travis Dickinson. Uh, how can people uh, find you on social media or... Uh, you want to talk about where you're teaching if people want to check that out? Yeah, so I'm at uh, Dallas Baptist University, and it's been a wonderful place to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my website is myfirstandlastname.com, so travisdickinson.com. I'm at Trav Dickinson mm-hmm. on Twitter. That's probably the place I'm at the most. And I do have a free book that I'm, uh, I've got available on the website. And so if you sign up for my newsletter, you can get my first book, which is called Everyday Apologetics. Yeah. Which was a great read as well. Yeah. Travis, thanks so much for jumping on my podcast and talking. It was great to see you again and chat and, uh, I'm glad you're doing well and wish you all the best going forward. Maybe when your next book comes out, wandering toward God, we can, uh, uh, chat again because I'm looking forward go. to diving into that too. Yeah. Love to, man. Great. For sure. Thanks for having me on. Oh, uh, take care, my friend.